Okay, welcome. If you're here at City Hill for the first time, we have these wonderful We Are So Glad You're Here cards. If you want to fill one of those out, we've got a fantastic gift for you. Um, you can be completely relaxed. We don't take up any offerings on a Sunday. We don't want we want we want this place to be a place where people can bring their friends and not have that awful moment of the bucket coming round um, and they have to pass it along and face the guilt of passing it along. It's just a oh, it's just a borrowed. Um, we want this place to be not a place of guilt, but um, guilt-free, graceful kind of church, and that's our swag. That's that's what we're about. So today we're going to be kind of carrying on a new series that we started last week which is called Inheritance. It's called Inheritance. So when it comes to inheritance, I found a few, just a quick little Google, I found some fantastically strange, bizarre um, inheritance stories. A Portuguese guy called Luis left his considerable fortune to 70 strangers, randomly chosen out of the Lisbon phone directory. And I quote, I thought it was some kind of cruel joke a 70-year-old lady um, told Portugal's sole newspaper after she received a crazy amount of money. One person in America left $12 million to their dog, um, cutting out the rest of their family members. True stories. In the end, the judge overturned it, and the dog, I think, only got $1.4 million. Uh, I don't know how it made it by. I don't know how it made it by. And I mean, in America, contactless isn't even a big thing, and back then it wouldn't have been around. So the dog, like, what does it do? Like, <laughs> it can't do the pen or anything. Um, William Shakespeare, what a don. He left his second best bed to his wife, <laughs> and all the rest of his estate to his daughter. He left his second best bed. Second best bed. I mean, generosity knows no bounds with William Shakespeare. He may have been very generous with his words, but that was a bit. Scroogey. Um, a public spirited donor made half a million pound bequest to Britain back in 1928, which is now worth more than 350 million pounds. Unfortunately, the anonymous donor was very specific with how the money should be spent. It should only be passed on once it's enough to clear the entire national debt. Sadly, the national debt currently stands at 1.5 trillion pounds, so the country can't touch the money. Yeah, I know, it's, it's just so hilarious. It's hilarious. So we'll end on a beautiful one. Legendary US comedian Jack Benny left an unusual but touching instruction. In his world when he died in 1974, every day, this is a quote, every day since Jack has gone, the florist has delivered one long-stemmed red rose to my home. His widow Mary Livingstone wrote in a magazine shortly after his death, I learned Jack actually had included a provision for the flowers in his will. One red rose to be delivered to me every day for the rest of my life. Oh, you softies. Absolute softies. I don't think we've ever had that sound effect in church. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna copy that when I edit for, this, for the podcast, just paste it every week. Oh. And we come to the end of our sermon. Oh. oh, I'm going to have some fun with that one. Oh, that's going to be so good. Oh. So today we're talking about inheritance, which is, is a kind of a bizarre thing, really, because the inheritance we're talking about is quite a peculiar one. So inheritance comes by the lineage, by, by blood. So generally it's given to, to family members that we love because family is, is what we cherish most, um, except for when you want to give it to your dog because um, you're nuts like that. But generally, it's, it's, it's down 
the bloodline. Uh, although our inheritance is slightly different because it's not our bloodline, but it's purchased with blood. Jesus gives his blood to give us our inheritance. Now, when the Bible talks about our inheritance, it actually uses kind of like a lot of negatives. What I mean by that is not negative words, as in like it's dead, it's waste. I don't mean that. I mean, it's always talking about what it's not. It's never really saying what it is. And that's because it's actually something that's so peculiar to us from our our experience, from what we know, from what we live. So um, we're going to be looking through 1 Peter and his understanding on inheritance because he talks about it quite a bit. He talks about it being three key things. He talks about it being imperishable. He talks about it being undefiled. And he talks about it being unfading. Those are all things we can kind of relate to, but the reason they're negative is because it's saying, well, it's like perishable. Well, it's not perishable. It's not defilable. You can't defile it. It's not defiled. And um, it doesn't fade. So he's saying things that it's not rather than things that it is, which is why the whole negative connotation. So if we are to open our Bibles to First Peter. First Peter. I don't know why I said it like that. Peter. Oi. Peter Griffin. <laughs> um, so, chapter why did I do that? Jesus, help me. Uh, first Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance... That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for, for you. That's you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I think we all have. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire so gold is going to appear four times in this book Um, the book's only five chapters long gold is going to be a reoccurring theme it's a bit like today so today we have a society that is that is money crazed like i've worked with young people since i was a young person and you talk to them about what they want out of life and um, it's always orientated about money fame success always money fame success uh maybe a spouse that's that's not bum and they're hot or something like that but it's it's generally um money fame success money fame success and so peter straight off the bat in his first chapter he's saying you've suffered but i just want you to know that though the genuineness of your faith is being tested what it's being tested for is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. It perishes. That's the key thing he's saying. So he's going to focus and go through this book, and he's going to talk to us about things we know, things that we relate to, things that we chase after. We chase after gold. When the financial markets have a bit of instability, all of a sudden gold goes up in value. Gold was, was the thing kind of regarding to currency. Currency is fictitious. It has no intrinsic value of itself. People look at it. They judge this economy looks like it's going to keep growing, so they put a lot of trust, they put faith in this fictional item that doesn't exist, and they say it's worth X amount, and it has this value, 
When that falls apart, they start to panic. The, the value is going to go down. Now investors want something to steady the ship, to keep their money safe. They generally tend to go for gold. Um, that's just the way it is. Now sometimes they play around. They, they look to play Bitcoin a bit, but it's, that's crazy volatile. You can lose a heck of a lot of money really quickly or make a lot really quickly, depending on which way it goes around. So people then pursued gold and people still today pursue gold. So Peter is saying to us, don't spend your entire life focused on trying to amass riches for yourself. It's going to perish. But what you have in Christ, the inheritance we have, it doesn't perish. Maybe fa- So, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. So even those things which are eternal long to look into these things. He's really placing such a high precious value on this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So that which is eternal, God in nature is holy. He calls us to be holy like him. He wants us to be set apart and for him. So if we're going to be, so Peter's really talking about not what it means to live the eternal life, but what it means to live worthy of the eternal life here and now, that pursuing towards things that are like that, that are reflective of that. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with, that, with fear throughout the time of your exile. Fantastic word there, exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, or spot. So straight away, he, he's, he's doing throwback. He's, he's dropping bars. He's dropping mad bars here. So when, he, when he, he starts talking about exile, he's drawing them back to the Babylonian dispersion. But actually, he's also drawing them back to a time when they were kind of cast out, out of Eden. Uh, could also be seen like as the whole exile thing. You could also relate what he's saying here back to the Exodus. And what he does is he's, he's dropping phrases that they'll understand from their, their Hebrew background and understanding, the, the beliefs they've had. And the way that they've seen things, uh, knowing that you were ransomed, ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So he's saying like the whole lineage thing of like this whole like Abraham, the inheritance doesn't come to you by Abraham's blood. So even like through your forefathers, as great as that history is, as great as that Jewish tradition is, like that's not what it's about. He's saying your futile way. So he's calling the past way of blood being the inheritance that you have from God because they were always focused on this promised land of, uh, of Israel. Whereas in the New Testament, it's talking about this new Jerusalem. They're saying we've had this Jerusalem. It's totally overrated. We want what God has for us. We want a place where there are none of these sufferings, none of these pains, none of these hardships, none of these brutalities, none of these 
corruptions because everything is corruptible, like he said, but this inheritance is not corruptible. It's not defiled. Um, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Once again, he's banging out that money thing. Like This wasn't a transaction. This wasn't a, a transaction in money like you know that fades away, that its value when people lose faith and trust in it plummets. That's not what this is about. But with pre- but the precious blood of Christ. And then he refers to something they all know about, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So the Passover lamb, um, it had to be without blemish, had to be without spot, had to have no broken bones in it. When Pilate took Jesus and he tested Jesus, he said, I find no fault with this man, but I will whip him anyway. Um, punish him, but the Greek word is whip. He whips Jesus. The blood flows from his back just as they would on the Passover lamb. And at that moment, he's declared the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when Peter's dropping these bars, he's pointing out to them that actually what's happening here isn't about a transaction of of property. isn't a transaction of products. This is something of of eternal value. This is something not of gold or, or silver. This is, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for your, for your sake. So here he, he, he's throwing out that things, that this inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for us. So it's, it's of God, it's not of a kingdom of this world, it's totally different. He's pointing out that actually he's comparing our exile to that of the Babylonians, he's comparing it to that of the Exodus narrative, he's comparing it to that... Um, of the out of Eden and that he's saying while we're in this exile while things aren't perfect and we're suffering in this world of corruption that we're to hold fast because this is the promise and we haven't been bought with something that's fading we've been bought with something that is eternal Um, and then he goes on to say not of perishable seed but imperishable so he's then again relating to Abraham and his seed but actually it's not about Abraham's seed it's about the seed of Christ that Christ is unfading that he is the one that we look to he's pinning this all on him and then he goes on further towards the end so having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord endures forever the word of the Lord endures forever he paints this picture he's just highlighting again and again using every imagery he has from from the Old Testament from all the things that they're they're familiar with in their spiritual tradition and he's pointing out everything is is fading but what never fades is the word of the Lord what's Jesus known as he's the word he's the word that became flesh and blood and dwelt among us his word remains his word is final and it is eternal and this word is the good news that was preached to you In chapter 2, he continues on in this vein. In verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, dropping another bar about what it says um, in in the psalm. It's talking about taste and see the Lord is good. And it talks in that passage about forsaking every other way, that you taste that he is good and then you detest, it says, detesting every other way and embracing that which is eternal. And in 2 Peter 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here it talked about in the the Old Testament about us being God's inheritance. 
that we would be his people. And so he's highlighting the duality of this, that he is our inheritance, but we are also his inheritance. We are to be his people, um, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that hit me this week. I was looking at this book and I was reading through Peter's letter and it's, it's all about this inheritance. It's all about that which is perishable and that which is fading. And then as I read this verse, something resonated with me and I tried to shake it. I tried to spin it. I tried to have a different angle, but I really just couldn't, I really couldn't walk away from 2 Peter verse 9. It really struck a chord of me about us being his people. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you. That God has done something good, so good for us that he wants us to be proclaiming the excellencies of what he's doing. Like so often I feel like we underplay kind of what God has for us, what God does for us. That when people talk to us about it and then friends go to me like, oh, oh, like people ask me when I get to work on Monday, they go, well, how was, how was your weekend? Uh, man, I was at church. It was lit. That's, that's how I say it and they, they just crack up or on a Friday people go to me like oh what are you doing this weekend I go I'm going to City Hill with you what are you doing this weekend come with me come on let's go and I, I just try and do that and they're like uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I'm always dropping bars they're like what what uh. like they didn't know that asking me how my weekend was going was going to do that to them <laughs> but that's it I'm like I know the excellencies of what he has for me I know the excellencies of what he's doing in my life I know the struggles and the pains that I've gone through I know that when things have been tested and I felt things were going to fade in my life where, where things were going to fall apart in mine and Jody's life, all that we have going on around us, it looked like things were fading, things were falling apart. And then the excellencies of him who's called us just transforms through it. And we see that he does a wonder, that he turns it around. And so when I'm his person and he's called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, I realize that he wants me to proclaim his excellencies in a dark, dark time. I mean, at the moment there's like, and what struck me about this verse was light, he's called us out of darkness. Um, into his marvellous light and at the moment the film that well all the chicks are going to see anyway from what I hear is um, Fifty Shades of Darkness like there's this I read this this Christian guy's blog I haven't read the books I have no intention of reading the books I'm not going to watch the film either I'm not involved fully you can hashtag that not involved I am not involved you can literally go on Twitter now tweet City Hill hashtag Fifty Shades Darker hashtag not involved you know what I mean like that's, that's how I'm not involved I'm going to be in it so but the reason I've got to talk about it is because that's our current culture that's our current culture so if we're talking about gold perishing I look at what I, what I read in this review and what he was saying is a lot of people pursuing a way of life that's totally perishing. And like, I don't know the story, so I'm just getting like a quick summary from what he's saying. The first one, it all, he's, he treats her really badly, she leaves him. The second one, they're kind of back together and ends in a proposal. A dysfunctional relationship ending in a proposal. And there's all these people who are like, oh, oh, and you're looking at it, and like this guy and his wife, they left there. He runs a ministry called xxxchurch.com, helping people overcome kind of uh, porn addiction and all sorts of things like that. It's a brilliant ministry. And he said, like, everyone's there, like, oh my gosh, wow. And he's there with his wife, and they're horrified. They're absolutely horrified. They're like, we've got friends who's re- who are getting divorced. We've got friends who are going through this stuff. And they're looking at this like, oh, that's so beautiful. It's like, no, it's a dysfunctional relationship. They should not be getting engaged. Thank you. Hashtag that in a tweet. It's just so, it's, it's ludicrous. And so when I started to read this epistle, I've never read the book. 
not this book. Fifty Shades Darker, Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades of anything. I, I, if anyone should be talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, it's me. I'm Andy Grey. That's my name. <laughs> Back off, Christian man. I'm gonna move to you. You're gonna get <laughs> get shook. So when I when I read that verse, that's what hit me. And then when I I, I carried on a little bit, I started to realise that actually, like this this whole epistle could be like Peter's response to Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm not even lying. Like. Christian Grey is this billionaire guy with loads of money and all he's talking about is, dude, that perishes. What are you wasting your life on, Christian? It perishes. Billionaire, it perishes. You're a waste man, covered up in a load of fictional money. That's what Peter's saying. That's what the gospel is saying. And so then he carries on through this and so then he gets to like chapter three. So he talks about like, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, They may be won without word by conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The complete opposite of what that that film is about. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewellery or clothing you wear, but your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a quiet and gentle 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 spirit jeez you can be a gentle too though which in God's sight is very precious in God's sight is very precious like make yourself truly beautiful and he says there about gold again like if the money is pulling you to this this guy I'm not saying like don't date rich people I'm not saying don't get involved in these things I'm not like preaching an anti-message I'm preaching something of greater worth I'm saying this morning that what he's saying here is he's saying that stuff perishes. Like this stuff is eternal. This stuff has a higher value. You just don't understand the value. You're, you're, you're dealing in stocks that go up, go down. You're dealing in fake, fictitious money that causes people to die of starvation. Like, yeah, 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 cool, props. Like he's saying, girls don't chase after having a guy that's going to be able to give you all the gold necklace, all the jewelry and all those kind of things because ultimately it's all fleeting and it's all perishable. But it's actually who you are that is of true beauty. And so straight away, he's like speaking to this poor girl who's being domineered by an absolute waste man in that story. And so as I read this, all I could see is just more of it. And then in verse seven, we have the most beautiful thing of all. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you. So when we look at that, so if you're a feminist, you can get really upset by that. But let's just take it from the context that it's in. It's in a time where people look down on women as this kind of like really weaker kind of a vessel, dismissive. But actually what he's saying here is he's saying you need to live your eyes and understanding, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel. So you honor that about them, that they're different, they have the difference to you, but it's something you honor, something you treasure, something that's worthwhile. And he goes, since they are heirs with you, but actually it translates since you are joint heirs. So it's actually, it's not a place of domineering position. It's a place of recognizing you are both heirs in the promises that Christ has for you. You are both heirs. So you can't treat an heir of Christ Jesus and his internal inheritance like a piece of trash to, 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 to domineer over. And like, man, I tell you what, like when I read that last night, I started to, like, I started to feel hurt. I started to think, man, how many times have I taken my wife for granted? How many times have I seen her? Yes, yeah, she's like, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> she's sitting there, she's sitting there like, this is my moment. 
<laughs> but like, so this isn't this isn't this isn't a ver- this isn't a verse for feminism. This isn't a verse for fighting. This is a verse for si- for appreciating and seeing someone, regardless of how you see them, as a joint heir with you yeah. of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So you want to be a douche? Great. Good luck praying. Good luck. Good luck being heard, Christian Grey, bro. Good luck. Good luck being heard. Like when the market's falling apart and your billions are disappearing. Good luck being heard, fam. No one's hearing you. Can't be treating women like that, man. It's, it's not what it's about. And so then it goes on. It, it, in chapter four, it's a totally different account. It's about being stewards of God's grace. So saying you have to live differently because God's grace is not, it's not just his mercy he shows you, you don't receive what you deserve, but his grace is what empowers you to gain that which you don't deserve. That it's God's grace propelling you forward to achieve things that aren't yours to be able to achieve. And because of that, we need to live differently because it's his grace that propels us. And so if we want to live lives that are graceful, guilt-free, we have to be good stewards of what God's given us. We can't be like, oh great, his grace is there, so I'm going to be a complete douche. That's not how it works. And then in chapter 5... Um, Chapter 5 is like Peter's writing to Christian now. So if chapter 3 is Peter talking to... I can't remember her name because of the A, something like that. Whatever. Whatevs. Um, what's her name? Anyone know? <laughs> Jodie, go on. <laughs> Annabelle. No. So if chapter 3 is talking to Annabelle... Thank God. Yeah, geez. That shows you how current I am. Uh, chapter 5 is talking to Christian. Um, well, not quite the first line. Uh, so I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder, Christian is not in those. Um, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ Jesus as well as a partaker in the glory that God is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but examples to the flock. If you're in a place of power and a place of influence, it's not about being domineering. It's not about your own gain at the expense of others. It's about being an example. Leadership is about being an example to those around you. And when you're a billionaire, I'm sorry, but there's an example that needs to come with that. An example that should be saving lives. An example that should be fighting against oppression. That should be fighting for justice. Because you have the means at your disposal. If you're a billionaire, you could, you could wipe out so many problems within towns, cities, and in some settings, uh, you can even wipe out problems in nations. You can wipe out illiteracy, for realsies. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will likewise receive an unfading crown of glory, something of real value, unfading crown of glory. So he gives you this picture of a crown of, crown of glory, but it's unfading. It's totally different from anything we've encountered. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want to align yourself with God's grace, it's all about humility. It's about knowing your correct place with God and being empowered from it. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world and after you have suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ 
will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to be, to him, be the dominion forever and ever. To him be the dominion forever and ever. There's another passage in there where it talks about all the immorality that we need to free and the things we need to stay away from and those two could be said to kind of Christian grey. They could be said to any one of us. But it's just that, that last point, that last point, um, how it ends there on chapter 5, how it ends. He's talking about to Christ be dominion and glory forever and ever. Amen. If there's one person you want to have dominion over your life, it's Jesus, not Christian Grey. If there's one person you want to have dominion over your life, it's not a power-hungry, um, abusive psychopath, billionaire. You want Jesus to have dominion over your life. The one who is working out to redeem, restore, and reconcile all things to himself. The one who has a plan to bring justice and change, sustainable change. Not even sus- We talk about sustainable change like in the charitable sector a lot. Sustainable change. We want it to be sustainable, man. We don't just want to do a good thing. We want it to be sustainable. It's got to last. We don't want it to be a flash in the pan moment that actually causes more harm than good. It's got to be sustainable change. That's what everyone talks about. Jesus talks about eternal change. It goes way beyond sustainable. I'm going to pray for us today. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. And with Peter's epistle in mind, he talks about that which is eternal. But that which is eternal, an inheritance that is perfect and untainted, incorruptible, imperishable and unfading. An inheritance that calls us forward. An inheritance that calls us to be 50 shades lighter than we are. Father, may you call us out of our darkness into the brightness of your light. May we be the light in this world that you've called us to be. The light is not seen of itself, but reveals that which is there. May we reveal you and your eternal gifts of inheritance to a world that is in so desperate need of them. At this current time, people are flocking to be teary-eyed about an abusive relationship. Yet we have a relationship with a God who came and was abused that we might be free and healed. May we encounter you this week and may we bring that healing to others around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go, and may you be 50 shades lighter.